This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Dittman, Liverpool, United Kingdom. Web address mercurialspirit.co.uk From October to Brest-Litovsk by Leon Trotsky Chapter 24 Peace Negotiations At the historic night session of the Second All-Russian Congress of the Soviets, the decree on peace was adopted. The full text is printed in the appendix. At that moment, the Soviet government was only becoming established in the important centers of the country, and there was very little confidence abroad in its powers. The Soviet adopted the decree unanimously, but this seemed to many no more than a political demonstration. Those who were for a compromise preached at every opportunity that our resolution would bring no results, for, on the one hand, the German imperialists would not recognize and would not deal with us. On the other hand, our allies would declare war upon us as soon as we should start negotiating a separate peace. Under the shadow of these predictions, we took our first steps to secure a general democratic peace. The decree was adopted on the 26th of October, when Kerensky and Krasnov were at the gates of Petrograd. On the 7th of November, we addressed by wireless an invitation to our allies and enemies to conclude a general peace. In reply, the Allied governments addressed to General Dukonin, then Commander-in-Chief through their military attaches, a communication stating that further steps to separate peace negotiations would lead to the gravest consequences. To this protest, we answered the 11th of November by appealing to all the workers, soldiers and peasants. In this appeal, we declared that under no circumstances would we permit our army to shed its blood under the club of the foreign bourgeoisie. We swept aside the threat of the Western imperialists and took upon ourselves the responsibility for our peace policy before the international working class. First of all, we published, in accordance with our promises, made as a matter of principle, the secret treaties and declared that we would relinquish everything in these treaties that was against the interests of the masses of the people in all countries. The capitalist governments made an attempt to make use of our disclosures against one another, but the masses of the people understood and recognized us. Not a single social patriotic publication, as far as we know, dared to protest against having all the methods of diplomacy radically changed by a government of peasants and workers. They dared not protest against us for denouncing the dishonest, cunning chicanery and cheating of the old diplomacy. We made it the task of our diplomacy to enlighten the masses of the people, to open their eyes to the real meaning of the policy of their governments, in order to weld them together in a common struggle and a common hatred against the bourgeois capitalist order. The German bourgeois press accused us of dragging on the peace negotiations, but all nations anxiously followed the discussions at Brest-Litovsk, and in this way we rendered, during the two months and a half of peace negotiations, a service to the cause of peace which was recognized even by the more honest of our enemies. The question of peace was first put before the world in a shape which made it impossible to sidetrack it any longer by machinations behind the scenes. 
On the 22nd of November, a truce was signed to discontinue military activities on the entire front from the Baltic to the Black Sea. Once more, we requested our allies to join us and to conduct together with us the peace negotiations. There was no reply. Though this time the allies did not again attempt to frighten us by threats. The peace negotiations were started December 9th, a month and a half after the peace decree was adopted. The accusations of the purchase press and of the social traitor press that we had made no attempt to agree with our allies on a common policy was therefore entirely false. For a month and a half we kept our allies informed about every step we made and always called upon them to become party to the peace negotiations. Our conscience is clear before the peoples of France, Italy and Great Britain. We did all in our power to get all the belligerents to join the peace negotiations. If we were compelled to start separate peace negotiations, it was not because of any fault of ours, but because of the Western imperialists, as well as those of the Russian parties, which continued predicting the approaching destruction of the workmen's and peasants' government of Russia, and who persuaded the Allies not to pay serious attentions to our peace initiative. But be that as it may, on the 9th of December, the peace conversations were started. Our delegation made a statement of principles which set forth the basis of a general democratic peace in the exact expressions of the decree of the 26th of October or 8th of November. The other side demanded that the session be broken off, and the reopening of the sessions was later at the suggestion of Kuhlmann, repeatedly delayed. It was clear that the delegation of the Teuton allies experienced no small difficulty in the formulation of its reply to our delegation. On the 25th of December, this reply was given. The diplomats of the Teuton allies expressed agreement with our democratic formula of peace without annexations and indemnities on the basis of self-determination of peoples. We saw clearly that this was but pretense, but we had not expected even that they would try to pretend. Because, as the French writer has said, hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. The fact that the German imperialists found it necessary to make this tribute to the principles of democracy was, in our eyes, evidence that the situation of affairs within Germany was serious enough. But if we, generally speaking, had no illusions concerning the love of democracy of Messrs. Kuhlmann and Zernin, we know well enough the nature of German and Austro-Hungarian dominating classes. It must nevertheless be admitted that we had not the slightest idea of the chasm which separated the real intentions of German imperialism from those principles which were put forth on the 25th of December by Mr. von Kuhlmann as a parody on the Russian Revolution, a chasm which was revealed so strikingly a few days later such audacity we never expected. Kuhlmann's reply made a tremendous impression upon the working masses of Russia. It was interpreted as the result of the fear felt by the dominant classes of the central empires because of the discontent and the growing impatience of the working masses of Germany. On the 28th of December, there took place in Petrograd a joint demonstration of workmen and soldiers for a democratic peace. 
The next morning, our delegation came back from Brest-Litovsk and brought those brigand demands which Mr. von Kuhlmann made to us in the name of the Central Empires as an interpretation of his democratic formulae. At the first glance, it may seem incomprehensible why the German diplomacy should have presented its diplomatic formulae if it intended within two or three days to disclose its wolfish appetite. What was it that the German diplomacy expected to bring about? At least the theoretic discussions which developed around the democratic formulae, owing largely to the initiative of Kuhlmann himself, were not without their danger. That the diplomacy of the central empire should not reap many laurels in that way must have been clear beforehand to that diplomacy itself. But the secret of the conduct of the diplomacy of Kuhlmann consisted in that that gentleman was sincerely convinced of our readiness to play a four-handed game with him. His way of reasoning was approximately as follows. Russia needs peace. The Bolsheviki got the power because of their struggle for peace. The Bolsheviki desire to remain in power, and this is possible for them only on condition that peace is concluded. It is true that they bound themselves to a definite democratic program of peace, but why do diplomats exist if not for the purpose of making black look white? We Germans will make it easier for the Bolsheviki by covering our plunders by democratic formulas. The Bolshevist diplomacy will have plenty of reason not to dig for the political essence of the matter, or, rather, not to expose to the entire world the contents of the enticing formulae. In other words, Kuhlmann relied upon a silent agreement with us. He would return to us our fine formulas, and we would give him a chance to get provinces and peoples for Germany without protest. In the eyes of the German workers, the annexations by force would thus receive the sanction of the Russian Revolution. When, during the discussions, we showed that with us it was not a matter of empty words or of camouflaging a conspiracy concluded behind the scenes, but a matter of democratic principles for the international life of the community of nations, Kuhlmann took it as a willful and malicious breaking of the silent agreement. He would not by any means recede from the position taken in the formulas of the 25th of December. Relying upon his cunning, bureaucratic and judicial logic, he tried in the face of the entire world to show that white is in no way different from black, and it was our own perverseness which made us insist that there was such a difference. Count Zernin, the representative of Austria-Hungary, played a part in these negotiations which no one would consider inspiring or satisfactory. He was awakened second and, upon instructions from Kuhlmann, took it upon himself in all critical moments to utter the most extreme and cynical declarations. General Hoffman brought a refreshing note into the negotiations, showing no great sympathy for the diplomatic constructions of Kuhlmann. The general several times put his soldierly boot upon the table, around which a complicated judicial debate was developing. We, on our part, did not doubt for a single minute that just this boot of General Hoffman was the only element of serious reality in these negotiations. The important trump in the hands of Mr. Kuhlmann was the participation in the negotiations of a delegation of the Kiev Rada. For the Ukrainian middle classes, who had seized the power, the most important factor seemed to be the recognition of their government by the capitalist governments of Europe.
At first, the Rada placed itself at the disposal of the Allied imperialists, received from them some pocket money, and immediately thereupon sent their representatives to Brest-Litovsk in order to make a bargain behind the backs of the Russian people with the government of Austria-Hungary for the recognition of the legitimate birth of their government. They had hardly taken this first step on the road to international existence when the Kiev diplomacy revealed the same narrow-minded and the same moral standards which was always so characteristic of the petty politicians of the Balkan Peninsula. Messrs. Kuhlmann and Zernin certainly had no illusions concerning the solidity of the new participant in the negotiations, but they thought, and correctly so, that the participation of the Kiev delegation complicated the game not without advantage for themselves. At its first appearance at Brest-Litovsk, the Kiev delegation characterized Ukraine as a component part of the Russian Federated Republic that was in the progress of formation. This apparently embarrassed the diplomats of the Central Empires, who considered it their main task to convert the Russian Republic into a new Balkan Peninsula. At their second appearance, the delegates of the Rada declared, under dictation from the Austro-Hungarian diplomacy, that Ukraine refused to join the Russian Federation and was becoming an entirely independent republic. In order to give the reader an opportunity to get a better idea of the situation which was thus created for the Soviet power in the last moment of the peace negotiations, I think it best to reproduce here, in its basic parts, the address made by the author of these lines in his capacity as the People's Commissar on Foreign Affairs at the session of the Central Executive Committee on the 14th of February, 1918. End of chapter 24